Welcome to the Product Podcast by Product School. Here's a preview of today's talk. talk today is really about when and how to break those own rules. I think when we work at a company for a long time or we think about a product day in, day out, we kind of get into this rut about saying, this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. Um, these are the rules that we've lived by and therefore they're not the rules we're willing to break. By removing limitations, we're really unlocking value for our users. We're giving them a superpower that they never had before. So a good way to think about this, not as like, what problem can I solve, but what limitation does my product impose on users, and what is the superpower that they wish they could possess? So does this power meaningfully change the user experience? Let's say for you know, the power of investing on the same day as you put money in Robinhood. If I could invest the same moment that I transfer funds, I'd be able to react much more quickly to the market, potentially make more money or save more money. That would meaningfully change the user experience for me. Can everybody have this power all the time? In Tinder, I'll talk about a, a product feature that we re released recently for subscribers, but it's something that not everybody could have. And I think it's worth noting that product features that unlock value that you're going to ask users to pay for ought to be something that not everybody can have. Or if they did, you have to be careful that it, the ecosystem balance of those who have that superpower doesn't outweigh the others. In this podcast, we teach our listeners valuable lessons about product management and transform them into thinking like a product manager. We teach product management, coding, data analytics, and blockchain in 14 campuses worldwide, including San Francisco, New York, and Seattle. You can find more information at productschool.com. Join our Slack community of 25,000 professionals to network and stay tuned for our upcoming events. I'm a product manager designer at Tinder. I work with Sam, who you heard from earlier. Really happy to be here and share some of the insights that I've learned over my years at Tinder and working in product, and also some of the ways I've been thinking about product as of late. So a bit about my background. Um, I didn't always start out working in software. Uh, I've been working on designing products and building things that I really loved since I was in high school and in college. I started up a fixed gear bicycle company with my friends that's still going on called Soleil Bicycles, a very different kind of product design dealing with hardware manufacturers overseas in China, dealing with uh, you know products that we didn't ha have in hand when we started selling them and e-commerce at the time. Um, I moved on to work on performance apparel projects, other lifestyle brands, and eventually made my way into mobile apps. What's awesome, obviously, about software is the rapid iteration, delivery, and feedback that you immediately get from your consumers, from your users. So the first product I worked on in this space was called Human. In 2013, when I graduated college, we ended up launching on iOS and Android. We were building this contacts platform for about three years until we were acquired by Tinder in 2016, and that led to a whole new breakthrough in the way I was working on product features, the amount of data and analysis, tools, resources, and testing methodologies that I got to use. So that was a big step up, and I want to share a lot of that uh, with, with you today. So what I'm going to be talking about today, ways to add value, I think, is something that we talk about and hear about a lot in product. It's pretty much the core of our job as we look forward and think about what to build next. I'm also going to be talking about how we set rules and limitations in our products and when to break them, and a little bit of a case study 
in Tinder Gold. I know we're getting close into the lunch time period, so after that, instead of the questions at the end, I'd love to talk with you guys about some of your products and the limitations you've built in. Also, before I really jump in here, I'm curious who in the audience is working as a product manager or in the product space right now by show of hands. Pick quite a few for the live streamers. That's probably 60%. And who are here just learning about the space, interested in breaking into product, and are not yet product managers? Raise your hands. Okay, a little more sheepish hands, but I think probably 10%, 15%. Anyway, I'm excited to hear more about your guys' experience, backgrounds, and what you're working on after this. So adding value. This is pretty obvious. I mean, products these days add value in a number of different vectors. It doesn't vary much in terms of the ways in which they add value. Efficiency, pretty obvious. Doing more with less time resources, energy resources. Um, in a lot of ways, product school is an efficient product in that we can learn about how to become product managers, how to operate on product teams and develop these skills um, in a much shorter time frame. Maybe it works around our schedule so we don't need to save up money and then go to a four-year college in order to you know, graduate and get a job. This can be worked alongside of our work schedule, and in that sense, it's a little bit more efficient. An interesting thing I heard yesterday when I was speaking with Snapchat uh, at their Snapchat summit was that the picture and video messages that they first created were really a play on efficiency. You know, if I was at a concert and I wanted to tell my friend what that was like, either after the fact or during, I would have to first process all of that visually, put that through my vocabulary, and translate to that my to my friends either verbally or over a text message or over a phone call where there's limitations, and it's just inefficient. What they created really unlocked a lot of opportunities for efficiency in that we can just capture it, share our emotions, our feelings, our expression, our mood, and our environment immediately, and that's really revolutionary on that, revolutionary on that front. So connection and validation. This is something that we see a lot in our social apps, even in Tinder. Connection, feeling close to people around us, Validation in terms of rewards of the tribe that Nir Yal talks about in his, his book, Hooked. Uh, those are all really valid. And today, socially, we really expect that from a lot of products. We get that rush of getting a new like or a new follow. Uh, that's very intentionally designed and something that I think more apps are uh, taking advantage of, even abusing to some extent. Validation can even be seen in Tinder. When you get a like, when you get a match, those sort of rush of endorphins, those feelings of feeling connected to others or liked, uh, definitely translates there as well. Entertainment, things like YouTube, television, movies, these are obvious features that can add value to our lives and keep us entertained, keep us uh, you know, having a good time. Money, obviously, products like Uber, Lyft, we can generate money by engaging with these products. And I think you know, more than just connecting with other people, that's the number one value add and a number of ways that SaaS products try to add values and attract users. What is talked about a lot less than problems solved or values added, I think, is limitations. These are the sort of guidelines, the parameters, the rules, and the, the limitations that you set on users in order to protect the user experience. We all accept limitations in every single product we use. So one such example is in Instagram, you know, they choose the content that we see. We are not in control of what YouTube serves up, up to us in terms of the recommendations algorithm. There are ways we can get around that with more effort, but, you know, that's completely out of our hands. Robinhood is a consumer investing app where you can quickly connect your bank account, start buying stocks on the market and selling stocks. And one of the limitations they impose and actually sell a way around 
is you know, your available funds, how often you can put money in the bank or how quickly after that point can you start buying stocks and selling them. Um, in Tinder, that's the double opt-in among other things. Uh, I'll get into a bit more about what Tinder is for the audience that hasn't been able to experience it yet. Um, but in Tinder, basically, two people have to like each other in order to be able to talk. They have to express interest in order to have a conversation. That limitation didn't exist in our competitors. OkCupid, which is still part of the same parent company, just let everybody send messages to each other at one point. A, uh, a limitation that didn't exist that basically caused men to inundate, absolutely flood women's inboxes with messages and solicitations, and that really degraded the user experience. They've since gone away from that. Twitter, there's a lot of uh, limitations that people accept or don't accept about Twitter, but the short form tweets are one, how many characters can use, your lack of editing tools um, you know, that they've imposed in order to keep the community authentic to keep it from something where I can say one thing at one point and change it, alter it to a different point of view at another point, or correct my spelling mistake. They're really striving for authenticity, as far as I can tell. Um, so, like I said, these things sort of protect the user experience, but they also help balance the, the marketplace in a lot of ways. My sort of lightning talk today is really about when and how to break those own rules. I think when we work at a company for a long time, or we think about a product day in, day out, we kind of get into this rut about saying, this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. Um, these are the rules that we've lived by, and therefore, they're not the rules we're willing to break. By removing limitations, we're really unlocking value for our users. We're giving them a superpower that they never had before. So a good way to think about this, not as like, what problem can I solve, but what limitation does my product impose on users, and what is the superpower that they wish they could possess? So does this power meaningfully change the user experience? Let's say for you know, the power of investing on the same day as you put money in Robinhood. If I could invest the same moment that I transfer funds, I'd be able to react much more quickly to the market, potentially make more money or save more money. That would meaningfully change the user experience for me. Can everybody have this power all the time? In Tinder, I'll talk about a, a product feature that we re released recently for subscribers, but it's something that not everybody could have. And I think it's worth noting that product features that unlock value that you're going to ask users to pay for ought to be something that not everybody can have. Or if they did, you have to be careful that it, the ecosystem balance of those who have that superpower doesn't outweigh the others. For example, in Tinder, if everybody could message everybody all, all the time, it would be a completely different experience. You know, people ask, would people pay for this a lot? But I think a really valid question is also, should they pay for it? Is this something that's just fundamental? You know, is editing your tweets something that uh, people could pay for and have the superpower but would, would degrade the experience or doesn't necessarily amount to something people should pay $10 a month for? Something to really strongly keep in mind as you remove limitations from your ecosystem. So into Tinder Gold, the sort of use case here. Um, backing up first, what is Tinder? So Tinder was started in 2012 as a mobile dating app. It was the first, I think, major app to make a play into mobile first instead of desktop. Um, and the superpowers it granted that it had over its competitors were one-tap login. You know, every other app at the time was asking users to fill out an amazingly long survey of questions because they had the perfect algorithm that would match you with other people around you. So questions about your lifestyle, are you a smoker? You know, heavy things that 
you're not sure you want everyone to know or would want to express on your first date anyway. Um, so Tinder did away with all of that, and it let users log in with just the tap of a Facebook login button. Uh, the other sort of big revelation that hadn't been implemented at large scale was the double opt-in. I've mentioned that limitation earlier, but basically that means if I swipe right on somebody, which means I'm interested in them, they don't know it until they swipe right on me. The whole value add there is that basically the fear of rejection can get thrown out the window. There's no risk of two people um, you know, seeing who likes one another and saying, oh, I'm not interested, or like shooting your shot and feeling rejected. You only experience the high of finding out other people are interested in you. The um, sort of evolution that Tinder went through over the past two years was the introduction of Tinder Gold. And I got to be a product designer and work with our product management and engineering team on building this feature and unlocking this value. Basically, the superpower there is seeing who likes you before you swipe. And that was a pretty shocking you know, layer to peel away from the consumer user experience that our executive team was pretty worried about. Um, that would fundamentally change how people use the product. It would fundamentally go back on the promise that we delivered when people were first trying out our product. You know, anonymously swipe on other people and only match and chat when someone else likes you. But there was a lot of value added and a lot of control that it put in our users' hands. So that control was to be able to match whenever you want to. Instead of just going through a card stack and being surprised when somebody actually liked you back and you had a match, uh, what happened now is you got a whole list of people that you could decide when you wanted to match with. Women who were used to getting a lot of likes now could say, I will selectively choose like, how wide I want to open the, the floodgates, right? Turn on the water in terms of getting messages, getting attention, getting uh, inbound, inbound inbox messages. So uh, with that, was granted a lot of power. The other thing that I think really compounded the value of Tinder Gold, and is something that everyone can think about in their own products, is how can our other features compound the value with the ways that we're unlocking value with our subscriptions? So in Tinder, your success is basically dependent on two things, how attractive you are or how great your profile is. That's hard to avoid, hard to change. But the other one is how many times you're shown in the card stack. So by giving users the power to boost and show themselves at the top of the list for the next 30 minutes, they get a lot more impressions than they normally would. This is no different from an advertisement. You know, they're trying their very best to get your attention to sell their product and to express the value they add if you try their, their service. But if you're only showing your ad to a handful of people, your success rate, your success volume is much lower. By opening that up, obviously, we're allowing users to advertise themselves in new ways. And with Tinder Gold, when you're seeing this whole list of people who like you, the boost is a power to control that. It's something that Instagram, YouTube, all of the other services that offer this sort of validation don't even have. So again, how can you combine your products in ways that unlock value for users and keep them working in a loop that keeps them coming back, that shows them and the value and that can compound um, their user experience. So a bit about the design process. I'm a designer by background, and I'd love to sort of dive into some of our philosophies at Tinder, how we build things, and what's important to us. Um, for us, a good product is simple, fun, and useful. That's a mantra that our mentor, Brian Norgard, echoes every single day around our office. And basically, it means that if it's not simple enough to explain that value add, that limitation you're removing, isn't going to make sense. It won't translate. 
if it's uh, not a simple interface where I can intuitively understand how it works, how it operates, um, you know, what it's going to do for me, I'm not going to use it. And if it's not useful, if it's not adding that value altogether, I may have subscribed the first month, but like my good friend Guy explained, I might be churning the next month. So like you and all products, when you're offering a new subscription tier, need to balance with your other ecosystem. We had another subscription tier that existed called Tinder Plus, and it was full of features we'd added over time. The ability to change your location, to swipe on an unlimited number of people without hitting sort of a, a hard stop, what we call our bouncer paywall. Um, it gave people the ability to rewind, to go back if they made a mistake that they wanted to change, and super like people, basically explicitly tell them that they're interested, and that would increase their chances of getting a match. So like see, we decided this new feature that we're peeling back and allowing users to purchase was too much to add to our existing product ecosystem. We wanted to separate it, differentiate it, and put it on a different tier. So we created Tinder Gold as this new level that stood out, wasn't encumbered by our existing product features, and allowed the idea of the value we were offering to be really simple and translatable. Buy Tinder Gold, see who likes you. Pretty, pretty easy to understand in our ecosystem. So by positioning it as the most premium offering, even branding it this way, we saw a lot more success than we would have by adding it to Tinder Plus. So another way that you can explain or communicate the value to users is how they're experiencing your product. Uh, in Tinder, when someone subscribes to Gold, we did everything we could to put that trim, that experience, that level and feeling of premium all over. So the app icon changed. And... We got a lot of feedback from Apple that they didn't like how that was supposed to work. This was supposed to be a fun unlockable that they added to the App Store functionality, but we ended up talking them into letting us keep that as something that you pay for to unlock. The branding in the app changes. Uh, the card stack itself changes. And so if you're reminding users of this subscription and this value add that they're getting every single day, that helps a lot. Every single time they get a match from Tinder Gold or from our likes list, basically that branding is right there on the match. So they can attribute your product to their success. And I think that's a loop that we see, even if it's subtle, that's really effective in communicating to users the value they're getting out of something. So when you're designing a revenue feature or an upsell or even a new feature on your existing product, it's really important to keep in mind how cluttered the experience gets. I'll be the first to admit that at Tinder right now, we spent the last two years adding a lot of new features. We were excited and chased down a lot of opportunities and tested things in front of our users. But just like you know, Facebook has at this point, we're simplifying. And when you think about simplifying your product, where can the entry points to your subscription paywalls, to your premium services make sense? So we tried to put our likes you and Tinder Gold entry point here in the match list with everyone that you've swiped right on, who's swiped right on you, with every conversation you've hosted, because um, it's the natural transition if you had no matches there, and it sort of fit in terms of where the user's mindset was, what their intentions were when they were going to find and access that paywall. So when and how you're upselling is very important. Also, are you interrupting the user? I think you have to find them when they're looking for this value and meet them at that point with your paywall, with your door to your new product feature that you're introducing. Otherwise, if it's just popping up over the top of your screen, if you're coming to the app and it's interrupting you, it's going to be a worse experience and they'll be very eager to swipe it away or get it out of their screen so they continue doing what they were intending to do when they came to your product. 
So this is a picture of the grid of likes that you may receive. Instead of a card stack where you swipe one at a time, it's organized in a grid so that you can pass. So you can decide you know, passively who you're interested in starting a conversation with. And at the bottom here, you see our button to activate boost, that feature that I described earlier about getting you more views, more impressions, and driving more likes in your Tinder Gold experience. Um, that compounding value has been, a, a, again, a, a great loop for our users, um, but it also gives them a lot of feedback. It tells them you know, how they're performing normally, and it gives them the controls to sort of puppeteer their own experience and be as successful as they want to be. So the result, obviously, adding value in a lot of different ways here. Um, removing and adding limitations can really unlock value for your users. For Tinder, it helped us achieve rank at the top of the iOS top grossing charts, and we're climbing up in terms of Android top grossing. I bring this up kind of as a brag, but also because you know, value added for your users doesn't just have to mean uh, that you're not meeting your business goals. Ideally, by removing these limitations, by uh, peeling back the, the rules you put in place on your own product, you're going to give more users more reasons to stay longer, to pay, and to enjoy your product experience. Thank you. I'd love to talk with some of you guys about your products, the limitations you've imposed, and how you might think about removing those in the future. Thanks for listening to the Product Podcast. If you liked this episode, don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes. If you want to know more about our courses and next courts, visit productschool.com. Stay tuned for the next episode to learn more about the secrets in product management.